This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We'll be bringing out the garbage can at the end of the show, as we do. A FOIA Follies update, too, in just a few minutes. So I signed up for Mastodon, Sam Knight. Oh, yeah? Have you signed up for Mastodon? I can't remember if I have or, <laughs> or if I have it. You know what account I still have, though? I still have my Elo account. Elo. I don't know what Elo... I don't remember what Elo was. It was a failed attempt at uh, basically making a Twitter substitute. Oh, well, Mastodon seems very much like Twitter, uh, although it is a little weird with separate servers. I'm not fully, I don't fully get it, but I created an account on like the universe server, which was one of the servers that you didn't have to apply for. You could just like join, create an account and join. Some of them you have to ask for permission to join. But once you are, you could always like change servers and you can follow people on different servers so it is a bit complicated for people who are just used to work used to twitter but you can get beyond that fairly easily uh people seem to be talking a lot about how this is a much friendlier place (laughs) i saw uh the guy who formerly ran that ethics office during the trump administration walter schaub he was posting on there about how we're all nicer here than on Twitter. You can, you can start over, (laughs) which is kind of funny. Um, I, but I don't like, I don't see anyone else there. It's like, you're there, but I don't know where all my friends are. I have come across people who have me blocked on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um who you are start like posting. Beef with them? no no because uh it definitely seems like you are not supposed to be starting beef on this website hmm. uh, is, it, is it really worth joining that kind of a website though well the thing about it is i didn't laugh once while i was on mastodon so there is uh definitely a comedy element that would go missing I do feel like I could, you know, if Twitter were to go away and as we're recording this, Twitter is still alive. Uh, When this podcast comes out this weekend, if that's still the case, I don't know. My guess is it'll still be lingering on. But uh, if it did go away, my job would be a lot harder because it is such a useful tool for aggregating people and outlets that I trust to get news from and also just in general official outlets. Um, But I feel like I could, I could replicate that on other services. I I haven't explored Mastodon enough to know how effective it is, but I'm sure you could replicate it. Um, But I would miss the laughs. Nothing, nothing produces 
as much humor in the day as Twitter. It's always on its game. Despite how frustrating it is, it's always on its game. And I say that as someone who kind of wants to see it die. <laughs> like I really, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings. We, You and I wouldn't be doing this podcast probably if it wasn't for Twitter. Uh, I probably wouldn't be doing, you know, we wouldn't be working with Means TV if it wasn't for Twitter. Uh, Twitter has certainly taught me a lot of things and made me think differently that's been helpful to my political education and just life education. But I also think it has diminishing returns where, you know, you can learn a lot from Twitter and then you can also have your brain ruined by it a bit too. And it'll frame too much of the way you think. So I am kind of interested in seeing how I might operate without Twitter. Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of like a drug. I mean, it's addictive in a way or it's, or it's like a bad relationship that you can't get out of. And then finally they're like, it's over, it's over. And you're like, damn. Okay. All right. And <laughs> got a lot of mixed feelings right now. But but what ultimately I'm I'm did you hear I'm, that? Yeah, but by ultimately the way, that was that was my Discord server. Well, not my Discord server. Oh shit! I You're am on Discord. On, I'm on Discord, big time. I'm on Discord, and it's oh, got it's sort wrong. of the sort of a, a, a similar vibe that Does you were it? explaining about Mastodon, and that it's got separate servers, and you've got to like rotate from server to server. But they're and, like chat rooms, right? Yeah, it's it's more like okay. yeah, it's like a chat room and. I don't know, man. There's something about the chaos of one giant pool of posts uh, that you just kind of need to get that that uh, you know the, the 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 choice posting experience. Everything always floats to the surface. It always produces a main character. Um, <sighs> occasionally, there will be something insightful. Almost always, though, there will be funny stuff on Twitter. Um, unfortunately, also enraging stuff. Oh, yeah. But it is it is the pure posters format, I think. And if it does go under, as it looks like is the case, because Elon basically fired, like, what, like 95% of the company by now? <laughs> Like he's fired like three thousand seven hundred out of four hundred four thousand uh, uh, staff that were there when he came, or something of that nature. Or resigned. I mean, yeah, a lot right. of people have resigned. Yeah, sure. Yes. And um, so, yeah, I think if if it does continue on the trajectory that Elon is taking it on, and it does fail, whatever comes next, it needs the Thunderdome. Like you need a Thunderdome to get that to get that dragon we're all chasing, and uh, yeah, I just don't know if Discord or Mastodon's going to do it. Although I will say this, as our listeners I'm sure are aware, uh, there is the the World Cup starts on Sunday, and I'm in a DM that uh, we started a World Cup pool, twenty dollar entry, you know, just modest, whatever. We realized like halfway through the, the, the draft that 
we need an alternative way to communicate because Elon Musk could very well ruin Twitter before the World Cup is over and the winner will have no way uh, of collecting. So I think as a bridge, Discord and Mastodon, like, yes, you need backup plans now so you can uh, so you can talk to all your friends uh, if Elon wrecks this by Monday. But yeah. I don't think I don't think it's going to it's going to be the replacement uh, in the long term. No, you need I the still Thunderdome. I still think Twitter will be around. I mean, maybe it'll go offline for a bit and have some issues, but we'll we'll stick around and we'll be posted on it uh, when it gets through all that. But uh, if yeah, if it does go under Discord, it's kind of like Slack in the sense that it's like chat rooms and you have different rooms you go in and stuff. But I do think that Mastodon could have the potential for Thunderdome. But what's keeping it away from that isn't so much the separate servers and, uh, you know, the idea that you have private. Well, I guess that is what's keeping it is that you have these private moderators of each server who you agree to obey by these rules, which includes like no harassment. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I guess the harassment one is what would keep Thunderdome away. Cause that could be defined so broadly. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously like other stuff, like no racism, no transphobia, no, um, don't act like a Nazi, uh, that sort of stuff, which, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, but that would still allow for going Thunderdome on liberals for having bad takes and stuff. But I would say that the no harassment kind of and the the fact that individual mods are keeping it are, are, are keeping it together and that people who are on the site just have this attitude that they want to keep it nice. How long that can persevere as more people from Twitter maybe migrate over, the culture could change. But yeah, I don't know. This is all this is all a bit meaningless because Twitter will probably exist. But I've got a Mastodon account now. Uh, you can find me. It's same as my Twitter account, pretty much. Uh, I've got a picture of me and the dog. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not too feeling. I'm not feeling too confident about. <laughs> about Twitter existing in a few weeks. Really? I'm not, I'm not like freaking out. I feel very at peace with it, but it just, it really sure. does sound like, and granted my eyes kind of glaze over when, when some of the tech conversation starts, but people who know more than me are like, okay, I have a few questions about how this website is going to last beyond, uh, you know, like December 15th. And then they like list this whole mega thread about how, um, you know, shit will come apart at the seams uh, very shortly. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, there are theories Elon wanted to buy Twitter to kill it because he saw that account that was tracking his private jet. Um, you know, he got backing from the Saudis who see it as as a possible way of uh, keeping the, li the lid on uh, dissenting opinions. People say Elon's a poster. He just wants to post, but he's a bad poster. Um, so he would never actually touch the site. <sighs> I don't know, man. I don't I don't trust anyone right now. It's a now. lot of money. It's a lot of money to do it, though. 
to just and buy a lot it of and, like and to kill reputational it. reputational damage and money. Yeah. And think of the like hit that Tesla has taken as a result of all this. Uh, now, I mean, he's he's backed by a lot of banks that I'm sure also would like to see a platform that is used by journalists to disseminate um, unfavorable information to them. I, that, I'm sure they would not be too unhappy to see this this website, which does not drive web traffic. All it may, <laughs> all it mostly seems to do is like for journalists to get their stories out there and for arguments to start. And then even when the stories out talk there, that doesn't to, necessarily and to start talk traffic. shit to people who uh, are usually shielded from that. Yeah, exactly. So, I I mean I, I think I said we we talked about it on last week's show that you know my reptilian brain starts starts vibrating, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thinking about what Musk's true intentions might have been in purchasing Twitter and whether or not he did purchase it just to tank it, but. Yeah, a lot of banks have money, but he has a lot of his own money into this that, like, is it, why not just do it then? Why not just, like, epic, epic man, yo, I'm going to drop $25 billion and get banks to back me and we're just going to kill the website, kind of like Peter Thiel did uh, with Gawker. I'm sure you'd get a lot of praise from his little even people who are obsessed with Twitter would be like, hell yeah, Elon, take me out. Take me out. <laughs> um, delete me, Elon. <laughs> but it is. it does seem like the most logical explanation. It doesn't seem like he could be this bad. We all expected he'd be pretty bad at managing the company. Driving it into the ground within a few weeks is way worse than even I expected. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he is trying to drive it into the ground and he will fail at that and somehow uh, uh, make it last for a thousand years. So <laughs> maybe maybe uh, I am wrong uh, for the right reasons here. I don't know. My head is just in a weird place where I'm not really trusting anything that's happening right now, uh, <laughs> in, it, uh, especially among uh, prominent members of the ruling class. Uh, especially among prominent members of the ruling class like Elon Musk, who claim that they are attacking the elites somehow. Um, yeah. This is, the whole world is just kind of a head fuck right now. So I I'm just expecting Twitter to go off uh, very soon. And uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, we'll move on to the FTX story here in just a second because it relates to all this in a way because there is this element of the ruling class, which is increasingly becoming these Silicon Valley billionaires uh, who are buying up tech companies and investing politically. And their main political message is they aren't the elites. It's various working class people in newsrooms, uh, in classrooms, in working at Starbucks, uh, you name it, who are actually members of this this woke cultural elite that are dominating everyone else. That the billionaire capitalists are actually 
the resistance fighters, these uh, uh, plucky underdogs that we need to to believe in and, and fight to to reclaim America. And it is such a maddening political message that's out there. And you see it, it's infected so many brain, like that's, that's a main message that Glenn Greenwald is spewing out all the time. Matt Taibbi, um, a lot of people who ostensibly were on the left. I mean, Taibbi seemed to be a figure of the left legitimately, uh, kind of in this post-left attitude that has emerged too. You see it there of people who buy into this, who buy into this junk that these billionaires are somehow like the new populace or whatever. It, it portends bad things. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, for sure. It's uh grim, very grim. Shall we uh, move on here? Yeah, speaking of which, uh, effective altruist Sam Bankman-Fried. Yes, that's right. There were some developments in the FTX collapse this week. First, what the bankruptcy process is confirming, the Sam Bankman-Fried polycule wasn't run very ethically, unsurprisingly. John Ray III, the man who was hired to usher FTX through its postmortem, said this on Thursday, quote, Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. His career, by the way, includes taking Enron through bankruptcy, uh, which led to Congress completely reforming uh, laws on accounting and passing the uh, Sarbanes-Oxley bill. So uh, this was worse than Enron, according to John Ray III. The, the crypto industry seems to be speed running all the financial crises that have affected the regular banking industry over the last several decades. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that later in this uh, in this little rant here. Uh, Ray made the declaration at a federal bankruptcy court in Delaware, which he said should not trust FTX's books. They're not, quote, a reliable indication of the financial circumstances of these companies. And he's using the plural there because there were 134 separate LLCs in the FTX corporate universe. They didn't have accurate bank accounts or even staff directories. But what Ray can already tell from the money trail is that FTX executives use company funds to buy homes in the Bahamas, although records of the loans used to buy those homes are incomplete. <laughs> the, the homes, by the way, were part of a gated company compound that had a docking facility for mega yachts and horse trails, which really is what crypto is all about. Not effective altruism or disrupting Wall Street gatekeepers or whatever. It's about taking money from a bunch of people who trusted you and enriching yourself before throwing the rest down a black hole. Also of note was how these expenses were approved. Ray found that, quote, employees of the FTX group submitted payment requests through an online chat platform where a disparate group of supervisors approved disbursements by responding with personal emojis. Awesome. I just got my reimbursement approval for my leather sex swing, though I'm a little <laughs> uncomfortable at how Sam approved it with an eggplant emoji. <laughs> Perhaps most damning and also most unsurprising 
Ray found that Bankman Fried's investment firm, Alameda Research, got special treatment. To understand how, you need to know that crypto people love talking about how their contracts are enforced by algorithm and how that puts everyone on an equal playing field. There's no special treatment to anyone because if the value of your investment falls by a certain amount and you fail to put up more collateral needed because the investment is suddenly more risky, your creditor will automatically sell your investment. In finance terms, you are liquidated, your position is closed out, and this happens instantaneously as soon as you fail to post more collateral that you need because of so-called algorithmic smart contracts on the blockchain. Or that's how it's supposed to work in theory. In practice, Ray found that Bankman Freed had established, quote, a secret exemption of Alameda from certain aspects of FTX.com's auto liquidation protocol, meaning Alameda could take on excessive risk and expose FTX in ways that other counterparties could not. Also, Ray said FTX used software to conceal the illegal use of customer funds, and this was after Bankman Freed denied reporting, claiming that the company had a backdoor to siphon off client money to Alameda. Whoops, Sam, big whoops. As Ed Zitron noted on Twitter, it's the morons Enron. <sighs> it's also simultaneously the morons Lehman Brothers, because another development to report on this week is how the contagion is spreading. Industry observers knew this would happen at the first sign of trouble for FTX because the company tried to rescue several crypto firms that went under earlier this year when the $60 billion stablecoin Terra fell apart. One of those companies is BlockFi. The lender received hundreds and millions of dollars in credit from FTX and had itself loaned money to Alameda Research, giving out loans that were collateralized by FTX native tokens, of course. BlockFi froze withdrawals this week and is reportedly considering bankruptcy. Hell, it might even be bankrupt by the time you uh, by by the time the show actually comes out this weekend. Another one of the companies that uh, fell apart in the wake of the Terra fiasco is Voyager, which did go into bankruptcy earlier this year and said that it will now have to find another savior and another rescue plan with FTX in shambles. Crypto is also suffering from general reputational problems that probably should have developed years ago. Coinbase, an exchange and former FTX rival, has seen its stock, pro has seen its stock price drop and trading volumes are way down in recent days. Crypto venture capital firm Multicoin Capital said that its fund is down 55% this month alone and expects things to get worse before they get better. How optimistic of them to predict things will actually get better for crypto. Also this week, lender Genesis Global Capital put a moratorium on new loans. Its CEO told Reuters, quote, we don't know which counterparties would fail next, which is part of the reason why decentralized finance is so stupid. And we learned this lesson as a society less than 15 years ago with the collapse of AIG. When AIG was selling derivatives over the counter, and suddenly it had accumulated so much risk, way more than it could take on, and collapsed when people tried to redeem their, uh, their uh, fuck, what are they called? The um, credit default swaps, when all the mortgage-backed securities went bust. Anyway, as a result of the Genesis trouble, the exchange Gemini 
said that it would also freeze withdrawals on interest-bearing accounts. And uh, Gemini is the company run by the Winklevoss twins, <laughs> which I don't really know how you could show your face in public after getting rinsed by uh, Mark Zuckerberg like that, but <laughs> God bless them. They've been at it for almost two decades now. Anyway, I could go on listing examples of firms that are It's almost as though it's almost as though that's what drives them in the crypto industry. The fact <laughs> that they were humiliated by Zuckerberg, that they need to be titans in this other tech industry where they're just gonna end up humiliating themselves. Yeah, it's all transparent. I, I wanna get humiliated on the blockchain on open source uh code for everyone to see. Anyway, I could go on listing crypto firms that are on the verge of collapse. The point is that more dominoes are still to fall. People are saying that the FTX collapse could have been worse because of crypto's limited exposure to the real economy, but we don't know how bad it will get yet and the extent to which the real economy will be impacted because of productive firms' exposure to counterparties of crypto firms Hedge funds and other ma asset managers are into crypto, and their distress could have second, third, and fourth order effects. So hold your horses, because this is definitely getting worse, and just how worse uh, is an open question. The, the, the 34,000 Bitcoin question, or whatever it is. I guess it's like 68,000 now, because <laughs> the price of Bitcoin is dropping precipitously. If it were up to many lawmakers, crypto would have had more exposure to the banking system before FTX started unraveling at warp speed. Firms like Fidelity have pushed to release crypto retirement accounts in recent months. FTX was trying to get regulators to gut the rules by allowing it to sell derivatives directly to retail customers around the clock. And uh, for the record, the progressive watchdog group Better Markets said that Bankman-Fried offered them more than a million dollars, or quote, seven figures, to support this application. The industry was also pushing the Federal Reserve System to open up its master accounts, its uh, lines of credit with crypto banks. One piece of legislation that industry supporters have lobbied for in recent months would also make it explicit that the Securities and Exchange Commission should not regulate cryptocurrencies, under the bill's language, the exclusive power would be granted to the SEC's much weaker and more captured derivatives-focused sibling, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And the bill's supporters, including Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and House Republican Tom Emmer, said this week that they hope the legislation can still advance through the lame duck. <laughs> With the entire industry... Uh, Completely coming apart at the seams. <sighs> there was some criticism for the, F for the SEC for its handling of FTX from Representative Emmer, who reacted to Chair Gary G Gensler giving a TV interview by accusing Gensler of, quote, running to the media while reports to my office allege he was helping SBF and FTX work on legal loopholes. Motherfucker, you were trying to help him obtain legal loopholes by getting him from out from under the SEC's thumb. Every time there was news of the SEC trying to keep crypto in line by going after unregistered exchanges or securities, Emmer was there crying his eyes out saying, ah, crypto is a commodity, it's not a security. And he has the nerve to complain about the SEC not being tough enough? 
Wow, man. <laughs> wow. I know, I know caring about hypocrisy is passe, but it really beggars belief that a lot of these Republicans who've, who've spent you know, the last four years or whatever screaming about the SEC trying to kill crypto, and now they want to have it both ways and complain about the SEC not being tough enough. I don't know. Kind of dispiriting. Well, anyway, uh, we'll we'll see them we'll see them voting against legislation to regulate crypto very soon. Yeah, yeah, we will, and uh, get ready to hear more about Emmer and more about his thoughts on crypto over the next two years, because Republicans just made him the majority whip after officially oh. taking back the House. Oh, all right, yeah. Well, let's see him whip votes for that crypto regulation. Yeah, more money for the SEC. Let's see how he whips those votes. Staying on Capitol Hill, speaking of leadership elections, Mitch McConnell secured his victory to lead the party in the Senate. He beat back a clown challenge from Rick Scott. In the House, Kevin McCarthy still has some work to do, it looks like. He uh, he did secure leadership from a, a vote within his own party, but he doesn't have enough votes within his own party to become speaker. Oddly, uh, his biggest supporter is like Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's giving press conferences about how everyone needs to support Kevin McCarthy for speaker. And that's because she's been promised a bunch of investigations that she will probably end up leading into uh, Hunter Biden. She's talked about an investigation into the way that January 6th defendants were treated. So... It is kind of wild that just a year, two years removed from all the shit that Marjorie Taylor Greene said that got her removed from committee positions, she's dictating terms to the next House Speaker who uh, is giving her whatever she wants. Yeah, I mean, and not that surprising since uh, McCarthy has basically yeah. been super pro-Trump uh, from day one, minus that uh, brief moment on January 6th where they had a little lover's quarrel. Yeah, he went down to uh, Mar-a-Lago not too long after, though, and uh, obviously said he will keep supporting Trump as long as... Uh, or. Not he probably didn't even deliver any sort of ultimatum because they're all cowards. But it was like, hey, I'd like your support for uh, my leadership bid uh, if we uh, take back the house. I, you know, I'm I'm a little, I'm not as like revolted at the thought of Marjorie Taylor Greene leading some congressional investigation as maybe I should be. Because she's just so stupid. I'm a little curious to see what she <laughs> yeah, comes I, up with. That's a good point. I mean, it'll be... Uh, yeah, we're going to learn more about Hunter Biden's dick. <laughs> and like she, uh, her powers to harass people are, are fairly limited. Because, I mean, if she wants to subpoena someone, she still needs a, uh, a committee vote. And I'm not saying that Republicans won't fall in line to support some really nasty... Um, congressional investigative work but is it really going to be worse than Benghazi I mean all Benghazi did was like hound Hillary and you know 
She didn't do herself any favors. Put Hunter Biden on the stand. Put fucking Hunter Biden on the stand. He will absolutely embarrass Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, for sure. That would be incredible. <laughs> Hunter Biden will have this like complete revival. People will be talking about Hunter Biden for Senate. <laughs> which probably Madam Chair, be good, you have which now subpoenaed. Good. Madam Chair, you have subpoenaed three dozen dick pics of mine. What is your true motive here? What is your true motive here, Madam Chair? <laughs> anyway, the more exciting stuff, or not exciting, but I'd say the uh, biggest news happening on the Democratic side where Nancy Pelosi announced she will not be running for leadership again, thus ending about two decades where she was the uh, top Democrat in the House. Genuinely surprised by this, um, although she did say that she would not run for speaker again two years ago as part of the deal to secure enough votes for her speakership bid then. But I just figured she'd ignore that and run again because over the last few months, she's been pretty cagey about it. Steny Hoyer also not running. He's the House Majority Leader. He will not be running for leadership position. So it looks like it's time for Hakeem Jeffries to, he has officially announced his bid for leadership. Uh, and he sucks too. He opposes the Green New Deal. He gave a really shitty uh, interview to the Atlantic. We'll talk about that a little bit more later in the show uh, where he just kind of bashed the left. Dude loves Israel. Uh, he... One of his top five contributors among industries is the Israel lobby. <laughs> um, he created a super PAC with Josh Gottheimer of the Problem Solvers Caucus, which are the uh, far conservative wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, they formed a super PAC together to give money to centrist Democrats to fend off left wing primary challengers. So, yeah, this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, big time. And I don't know if he even has the skill to uh, keep keep the caucus uh, vaguely united that Nancy Pelosi did. Um, you know, she obviously was bad in her own right. But, I mean, you do have to at least hand it to her a little bit in that the proof is in the pudding of her being the leader of the caucus for two decades. Uh, she certainly managed to hang on to power a long time, and she was skilled at that. Uh, let's see how things go for Hakeem. For much of her time at leadership, she didn't really face much challenge from the left she was considered like the most left-wing members among the most left-wing members of the democratic party so she was able to uh, appeal to more conservative members by giving them lots of campaign money raising tons of money uh, for the party it wasn't until later that she started really facing challenges from the left in which they revealed some of her, uh, a lot of her shortcomings uh, as a quote unquote progressive. But by then she had built up, you know, two decades of institutional support 
and mythology around her name that made her so powerful and effective that she, she was a ma- just, she was a made woman. Yeah, that she that she was able to to beat back like any sort of leftist getting out of line, whether it be AOC or Rashida Tlaib or whoever or uh, Pramila Jayapal, and. I don't think that, yeah, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who is a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, but not because he's progressive, but because the CPC has no real standards as far as who becomes a member. Uh, I don't think he has the same sort of backing or know-how to, as you said, uh, effectively thwart the left like Nancy Pelosi was able to do. So maybe that is kind of a good thing. And you do see this, the quote unquote squad growing its numbers uh, with more left-wing members. So maybe um, some more pressure can be uh, exerted on him, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't fucking know. It's all just kind of uh talk at this point. Uh, more from the Senate uh, plans to hike the debt limit through reconciliation to avoid Republicans being able to use it to extract concessions next year, those plans have been abandoned because Joe Manchin doesn't think it's right. Joe Manchin thinks that the debt limit should be hiked in a bipartisan fashion because he, like Republicans, ultimately enjoys using the debt limit showdown every couple months or once a year or twice a year to enact austerity to cut government spending. So that's what will happen next summer. Next time we hit the debt limit, Republicans will have the House. And you could bet that they're going to demand all sorts of shit in order to avoid a a default, which the fact that the U.S. even has this in place is absurd, but it's there for the reason I just stated. So that the government can be put in check every couple months. Uh, The Senate did have time to uh, vote to end the pandemic public emergency with a bunch of Democrats crossing over to join all the Republicans to pass that resolution. Uh, Obviously won't end the pandemic because they declared it will. Uh, The pandemic is still killing thousands of people every week. What it will do is kick millions of people off expanded public health insurance programs and other social welfare programs that are expanded because this public emergency is in place. So that's great work. Senate uh, did pass legislation protecting same-sex and interracial marriage. Uh, It does have religious liberty exemptions, though, so that faith-based organizations can continue discriminating and can do so without losing their tax-exempt status. Uh, the House bill that was passed did not include this exemption. The Senate bill does include this exemption uh, to get about a dozen Republicans to sign on to it. Also got the Mormon Church to sign on to the legislation, which fine, whatever, uh, pass it. But if the Supreme Court wants to get rid of same-sex marriage, they'll just do it. And they'll strike down this legislation as well. So it doesn't really matter what this bill does because Democrats are not focusing at the root of the problem, which is the right-wing majority on the Supreme Court that's pretty deeply entrenched that needs to be 
taken out somehow through court packing or uh, through impeaching corrupt justices. And Clarence Thomas is number one among them. Yeah, and this is this is the same problem with the strategy uh, people were talking about. Oh, oh Congress didn't, um, you know, the Democratic Congress should have codified Roe into law. Well, <laughs> guess where that would go to die? <laughs> Supreme Court. I mean, you know, they should still try. They should at least give it a shot, and then the uh, the the political. Um, you know, cost is borne by the parties that strike it down. But let's be yeah. real. I mean, like the Supreme Court. Yeah, that needs that that whole situation needs to be addressed pronto. <laughs> President Biden is still catering to Saudi Arabia. The administration said in court Thursday that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has immunity in any lawsuits related to the killing of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi, a killing that he ordered. Khashoggi's- this, is, this is like uh, how many weeks removed from saying we're going to reassess our relationship with the Saudis? <laughs> yeah, this is particularly pathetic because Khashoggi's wife is suing the crown prince and his top officials, who again ordered and uh, executed uh, Khashoggi. Lawyers for MBS argue that because of his high status as this international head of state, he should be immune from lawsuits in the U.S. The Biden administration didn't have to say shit on this. They didn't have to weigh in or do anything here. But it chose to tell the court that it agrees that MBS should be shielded from the lawsuit. Likely part of some deal that was worked out when Biden went and kissed the ring and Tehran or in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh fucking a couple months ago in hopes of getting more oil released by OPEC. And then OPEC's like, actually, we're going to restrict oil, bro. (laughs) And, you know, in the in the sort of West Wing addled brains of Biden staffers, you think that this would have been an easy move where you, you tell you tell Saudi Arabia, oh, yeah, we'll defend you in court. And then the crown prince. Uh, reverses himself on OPEC and decides to restrict funding. And then in this courtroom drama, DOJ lawyers are like, actually, your honor, we think MBS should be held accountable for this stuff. And like everybody erupts in laughter and it would be totally meaningless. It would just piss him off. It's not like, it's not like MBS doesn't have more than enough money to cover whatever lawsuits and he wouldn't have to pay him anyways. Like good luck getting the money. So it wouldn't be matter. It would just be purely symbolic and still, and still, the Biden administration just grovels. He's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're so we're we're sorry that you're having to deal with this, uh, sir. Uh, we'll go to court and make sure that uh, the judge understands this isn't fair." Now, the judge could reject this. Still, the judge could be like, "This is bullshit." But uh, I guess we'll see what happens there. But just pathetic. Yeah, maybe when he said they were going to rethink the uh, relationship, they meant they were going to give him more kisses and flowers. The National Labor Relations Board is seeking a nationwide cease and desist order against Starbucks to stop its rampant union busting. It was filed in a federal court in Michigan this week. Meanwhile, Starbucks Workers United went on strike at more than 100 locations on Thursday to demand that the company bargain with them. It's been nearly a year since some of these cafes voted to unionize. 
The company still won't negotiate with them in good faith. So, yeah, now they're... It seems like both the union and the NLRB are sort of upping the stakes here uh, against Starbucks and its campaign against its own workers. Yeah, well, uh, best of luck to them. This is uh, why we need to pass the PRO Act after putting half of the Supreme Court in a dumpster and uh, putting it on a rocket to the sun. <laughs> All right. Uh, turning now to our FOIA follies. You got an update for us? Just a short update. One piece of sad news to report. Speaking of labor unions and the uptick in union organizing activity, the Federal Reserve said that it had no records in response to my request uh, for emails sent to or from Jerome Powell or his uh, chief of staff, Michelle Williams, uh, about labor organizing. Of course, huh. I thought there might be uh, some sort of paper trail showing that Jerome Powell was keeping a close eye on labor organizing as some sort of uh, metric that you know, the labor market is too hot and it needs to cool down to quote unquote fight inflation or whatever. Uh, they said they have no records. So legal options are being considered, but I got to be honest, I'm not sure the juice is worth the squeeze of an appeal here. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Although not as bad as I thought it would be when you started that saying one piece of sad news to report. I thought someone had died. <laughs> Thankfully. Nope. No one, no one dead. Well, people are dying everywhere as I am speaking right now. So maybe you should mourn for them. A person is dying right now and right now and right now. We'll just be silent the rest of the show to commemorate each person dying each moment. Speaking of people dying, let's throw one in a garbage can that could possibly kill them fatally <laughs> as Dirty. a joke. Parody. Interns, bring out our uh, parody garbage can. Satire can. Da, 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 da. Ooh, it oh, is whoa. stinky. It is definitely stinky. It might be a parody garbage can, a satire garbage can, but it for sure is really smelly. Oh, it reeks. Oh, yeah. Oh. Ugh. All right, that's good. That's good, interns. Thank you. Right there. Garbage candidate number one. Who else? Elon Musk. And not even related to the Twitter stuff, really, although it could be because he keeps treating his workers like shit and uh, demanding that they go super hardcore for him. And when they didn't, he now is backing down. And begging a lot of his top engineers to stay at the company. But really, he's nominated because he was in court defending his enormous compensation package at Tesla. Stockholder sued, saying that Musk improperly extracted the bonus from a too compliant board to the detriment of the company. So in order to prove that that's not the case, Musk has to you know, establish that the board was making important decisions at the company. And he wasn't just doing this shit willy nilly which led to some pretty funny moments during cross-examination during uh, this trial, like when he uh, declared himself no longer CEO, but instead Techno King at Tesla, 
according to the Chancery Daily on Twitter, who was following the trial, quote, you were stone cold sober when you came up with the title Techno King for yourself, correct? Yes, Elon responds skeptically. Quote, you've described the role of Techno King as like a monarch and similar to the role of CEO, but more technologically oriented with more panache than the CTO role and as something which comes with great dance moves and sick beats, correct? Elon responds, I think comedy is legal. (laughs) Is it though in securities filings? (laughs) Is it actually like... We can, you know, get up on stage at an open mic night and say like, oh, you know, I I fart rivers of gold and everyone laughs. Say that in a securities filing. That's not really, uh, that's not legal. (laughs) Later on in the trial, Elon claimed that the consent decree that he was required to sign with the SEC that... (laughs) Uh, required all his public statements about the comment about the company to be monitored and stuff. Elon said of it, the consent decree was made under duress. An agreement made under duress is not valid as a foundation of law. To which the lawyer said, are you trained as a lawyer? To which Elon responded, I have some familiarity. <laughs> I have some familiarity with the legal system. If you're in enough lawsuits, you pick up a few things along the way. Sounds like a line from Arrested Development. When it was still good. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Garbage candidate number two, Hakeem Jeffries, the the new leader or likely new leader of the Democrats. Uh, We mentioned all the reasons above why he's nominated. He's pretty antagonistic toward the left and will continue to be. Um, Here are a few quotes of his from an Atlantic profile on him by uh, Edward Isaac DeVore, who writes, quote, about Jeffries, he doesn't endorse the Green New Deal. He doesn't like feeling bullied into signing on. He believes that activists are too caught up in thinking about changing society around environmental goals rather than the systemic racism that he wants to focus on. And then Jeffries is quoted in this article saying, quote, there will never be a moment where I bend the knee to hard left democratic socialism. Hard left progressives tend to view the defining problem in America as one that is anchored in class. That is not my experience as a black man in the country. And perhaps that's where we have a difference of perspective. Now, you know, not to go... Not to go all Chapo subreddit on this guy here, but uh, that's some bullshit right there. That is some bullshit right there. That's obviously bullshit. It's a false dichotomy. It's a completely false dichotomy. And he just doesn't want to fucking address class because he doesn't care about poor people, black or white. Yes. And it completely ignores centuries of black socialist thinking here that have helped contribute to the anti-capitalist movement and helped inform how we should think about class as a root problem here. Um, Yeah, and it just suggests he's going to be a a caricature of the libs you encounter on Twitter during the 2016-2020 Bernie campaigns. Yeah, what what is... Sorry, what is his... uh, 
what is his plan to address racial injustice? He he doesn't seem to ever like articulate anything. Another quote of his in this uh, Edward Isaac Devere piece, he said, I'm a black progressive Democrat concerned with addressing racial and social and economic injustice with the fierce urgency of now. And he's doing this with the fierce urgency of now. He's addressing economic and social injustice by opposing people who want to do something about it now, a.k.a. socialists. Yes. And, of course, socialists are very much concerned with racial justice. He's just fucking creating this stupid false dichotomy to win over rich MSNBC liberals who think that actually by like by spitting at the waiter or whatever, uh, you know, by not care. <laughs> I don't know. Spitting at the waiter is such a lazy example. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Like they're, they're just trying to he, he just wants to make rich liberals feel good about themselves for not giving a fuck about poor and working class people. Garbage candidate number three, Volodymyr Zelensky. <laughs> Get his ass. There was that missile that landed in Poland this week. And immediately, Zelensky was claiming that Russia had escalated the war and attacked a NATO member. That Russia had bombed Poland. Later revealed that actually it was a missile from Ukrainian air defense. And now... Ukraine didn't, as far as we know, didn't intentionally fire a missile into Poland and Ukraine was under missile fire from Russia all day. So it has the right to defend itself and often part of defending yourself from missiles is you, one of the missiles, interceptors, misses and lands somewhere. So that's most likely what happened here. Although you would think Zelensky would have, or his defense team would have known and been able to immediately ascertain that that was one of its own missiles that landed in Poland. So what the hell are they doing going out claiming immediately that Russia did this, knowing full well the implications of that could mean all-out World War III? Uh, And it also makes that reptilian part of my brain start going off about, well, maybe they fired it on purpose into Poland to try to use it. (sighs) But it was pretty quickly dismissed, right? You know, so you would have thought that they would have planned that out better. So uh, it does appear to be an accident, but it was no accident that Zelensky and the defense minister immediately came out and blamed it on Russia. And I understand that he's not exactly in the easiest position here, <laughs> being invaded, but that doesn't justify him trying to provoke a world war three that would result in everyone being annihilated. The dude needs to fucking chill here. (laughs) Take a chill pill. Volodymyr (laughs) garbage can. Number four, Israeli defense minister, Benny Gantz. Gantz. Is it Gantz or Gantz? I believe it's Gantz, but who cares? Gantz. (laughs) Gantz. Benny Gantz. Announced that the IDF will refuse Actually, to cooperate. Gantz. He's isn't he? Wasn't he born in San Francisco? His ancestral homeland of San Francisco. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Anyways, he went on Twitter that 
the Department of Justice is apparently investigating the death of Shireen Abu Akleh, who was shot by Israeli defense forces. It's never really been fully ascertained as to why she was fired upon. Uh, the IDF launched an investigation saying that it can't be known for sure. It's possible a soldier shot and killed her, but if they did so, it was an accident. No criminal charges are going to be pursued. Under a lot of pressure, the Department of Justice has now launched its own. The FBI has launched its own investigation here into this. Benny Gantz immediately going to Twitter to say that uh, there will be no cooperation. Quote, I've delivered a message to U.S. representatives that we stand by the IDF soldiers, that we will not cooperate with an external investigation and will not enable intervention to internal investigations. So... Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I would think that if the U.S. is giving the IDF billions of dollars in security assistance every year, we'd be entitled to interview some of their soldiers who shot an American citizen, shot and killed an American citizen. Benny Gantz saying, no, you don't have that right. I wonder how that'll affect future funding for the IDF. My guess My is- My guess is not at all. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. With Hakeem Jeffries uh, as the Democratic leader in a Republican House and Chuck Schumer as the Democratic leader in the Senate, not at all. In fact, they will probably earmark some of the funds for like an IDF, like media propaganda arm, too. Yes, yes. To uh, restore its image after the unfortunate killing of Shireen Abu Akleh, we must give Israel more money who collided with a bullet, who clashed with a bullet in the West Bank, as, we must... as, the, as the Associated Press would probably report it. Garbage can number five, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, the, the teen killer. Looks like he was on Capitol Hill this week meeting with a bunch of Republicans and gun lobbyists. He posted a picture with Marjorie Taylor Greene, some uh, representatives-elect, and a picture of himself in front of the Capitol saying in five years he'll be able to call this place his office. I guess implying he wants to run for Congress when he turns 25? Oh no, Kyle, don't do that. Don't put yourself in public places where people will be able to know reliably where you are on a regular basis. <laughs> Strictly so we can find him to throw him in a garbage can. That's it. That's all we're talking about. We just want to lobby him on various issues and engage in the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> Garbage candidate number six, Cristiano Ronaldo. Boo. He gave an interview to Piers Morgan where he whined about his situation at Manchester United where he's just simply not good enough to start but thinks that there's other reasons why he's not starting. He also praised Jordan Peterson. Saying, quote, I'm a huge fan of his. I read his book, 12 Rules, and I felt that he's a really interesting guy. And I love to meet smart people. Fantastic man. And I learned a lot. And Ronaldo said wow. he wants to write a book like Peterson. Wants to write his own 12 rules. Wow. A credibly accused rapist is a fan of Jordan Peterson. <laughs> That's wild. I'm predicting uh, Portugal does not make it out of the group stage. And Ronaldo, maybe he scores one goal, two goals, the whole tournament. Portugal doing a France this year. 
it's usually France where the squad uh, falls apart in, in, in the public eye. But now we've already seen footage of, um, of Ronaldo's Manchester United teammate, Bruno Fernandez, refusing to shake his hand in front of a TV camera. <laughs> uh, we uh, didn't talk about the World Cup at all. It's this weekend. But we'll defer our audience to listen to Delete yeah. Your Account. Yes, we will. I thought we did talk about it briefly when I was explaining about my uh, group DM where we had to find yeah. an alternative means of communication in case Elon kills the website before the final. Yeah, but that we, yeah, that's barely any discussion about uh, any picks Yeah, true. further analysis. I'm, and also, I'm a little jealous that I wasn't included in this pool, um, <laughs> but we'll put a we'll put a pin in that, as they say. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll defer to delete your account where Sam and I, uh, as soon as we're done recording here, are going to hop on there to record, to talk about the world cup, uh, the, uh, good, the bad, the mostly bad and mostly ugly. And, uh, we're going to make some picks that you can all make fun of us when we're immediately proven wrong. All right. Who's going in the garbage can this week? Oof. It's always tough. Always a tough question. Uh, it makes me sick every time I see Kyle Rittenhouse fucking walking around. It really does. It really all does. Right. All right, let's do it. Really? You're down to do it? Let's do it. He was in D.C. We've captured him. Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse, you were going, going in the garbage, the garbage can. can. Nothing left to say, folks. He's in the garbage can, <laughs> and he does not look very happy. No. He looks very Sad unhappy boy. indeed. Sad he's boy actually, in the garbage crying for can. real this time. Because you can tell he's crying for real because he just pissed himself and shit himself. And now he's stuck inside the garbage can with that for several days. <laughs> That's the show. Thank you for your support. Thanks for listening. We are off next week for Thanksgiving. Have a good one, everyone. We'll be uh, back in a few weeks. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. <laughs>